0: Of equanimity, upeka, Brahmavihara. And it's the fourth of the four Brahmaviharas. And you all have probably been exposed to it and maybe practiced it some already. But a few reflections to help um, welcome this quality forward and tune into it. In some ways, it's different than the other three Brahmaviharas of uh, loving kindness compassion, and sympathetic joy, in that with equanimity, it's born out of a love and a heart connection to what's true, not what we prefer to be true. So we all prefer not to feel pain, and we all would prefer for our loved ones not to feel pain. And compassion, in its truest form, doesn't negate pain, doesn't contract against pain. But until compassion is in its purest form, there still can be an old preference that the experience of pain or displeasure or loss or hardship is somehow a, um, a negative experience or a misfortunate experience. And the same with celebratory joy, uh, mudita. Um, In its purest form, it's not hungering for it, chasing after it, getting intoxicated by it. But it's the true celebration of what there is that's beautiful, both for ourselves and for others. And then loving-kindness, basic friendliness. It uh, makes sense even in the conventional world. Equanimity uh, arises when we can see clearly and we're still willing to have our heart be warm in connection to what we're seeing. And one of the most important things is to soften our preferences or clinging to preferences so that we can be truth-oriented. And to do that, if you're still calling negative experiences, unpleasant experiences, as a misfortune. In some ways we're not seeing what it means to actually be alive and conscious on this planet. It comes with the visitation of unfortunate experiences or painful experiences. It comes with challenges, just like being here comes with rain. It comes with sunshine. So maybe there'd be a preference for it getting warmer and sunnier, and in that preference you have the seeds of your own suffering to struggle against the way things are. As equanimity uh, upeka begins to ripen in us, um, it takes the longest of the four brahmaviharas to really ripen, but when it does, um, it has the most seeds, uh, the most the broadest foundation for our continued well-being. Because uh, the truth is always around us and we no longer struggle with it. So I'm open to there being rain, I'm open to there being sunshine. Um, 20 years of having a chronic illness, I'm open to the amount of pain that I feel. Sometimes not exactly when I'm feeling it. Um, I'm still working on that. But it's taught me that my well-being does not have to come through only a healthy body. I have a lot of well-being, even though my body struggles with illness. So um, that's its particular tone, uh, opening the heart, seeing where there are preferences and struggles, and seeing if you can soften any struggles against the truth of how things are. There is gain and loss. There is pleasure and pain. And that's not necessarily wrong. Just like it's not wrong that our planet circles the sun. It's just the way it is. And that might have been a struggle at one point with our, uh, our Western uh, view or our species view. And it wasn't the common view, but now there's enough miracle in the fact that there are eight or nine planets uh, circling the sun, we can cope with that. So you can fall in love with the truth and the truth can include um, times of great tragedy. And that somewhat um, is part of why there is nobility in our hearts that they don't collapse in the face of hardships. And hardships never become eternal. It's the nature of uh, hardships to be transient. It's the nature of pleasures to be transient. So we want to be able to uh, have a warm heart that rests uh, gladly in relationship to the truth. And we need to practice so that's more and more accessible. That's more and more uh, the orientation of our heart. These four Brahmāviharas are kind of like a quartet. Um, a cappella quartet, where um, if any one of them can't harmonize with the other, chances are there's something off about that brahmavihara, vihara or how we're practicing or seeing that Brahma-vihara. So equanimity should not negate compassion, it shouldn't negate uh, joy or basic friendliness. Um, if it has, it's eclipsing these other, these other parts. But it can be the lead factor supported by the others. So sometimes equanimity plays a supportive role cleaning up the shadow side of our developing compassion or developing joy. So we don't get uh, too attached to our perspectives of what's painful and what's unpleasant. So if equanimity is nearby, its chances are your compassion has a chance to really ripen and the same is true if compassion is nearby, your equanimity has a chance to ripen. So just a brief analogy. I used to work in a shelter for homeless and abused teenagers. And it was very easy to have compassion for how hard their lives were, very easy to kind of um, be bereft at the amount of pain that I was in contact with, easy to celebrate any good day of their life because uh, they were under such hardship. So the The ability to celebrate was obvious. The uh, compassion for the hardship was obvious. And then having a basic sense of decency and benevolence towards whoever came to the shelter. But I still saw it as there's something wrong about this picture. And that always led to my burnout. It always led to my exhaustion in working in the shelter. And then when I worked with some um, older, wiser nurses, and uh, police people, and um, social workers, people worked in the shelter, they had come to terms with the fact that uh, we hadn't solved homelessness yet. And they did not get as thrown by being intimately in contact with homeless people, that their hearts had steadied in that relationship. So there's still room for compassion, but there's an ability to not be troubled by the truth you're encountering, that you actually want to understand the truth. And there's room for compassion when people are suffering. But that people suffer is not inherently wrong. It kind of comes along with this incarnation that people are subject to suffering. And if you're willing to be intimate with suffering, you see that it's transient. So it's part of the, the way things go. Sometimes people need a certain amount of hardship to get traction to waking up. So not every hardship is automatically a misfortune. A Tiny example of that was when the shelter care worker, one woman running shelter, had a five-year-old daughter. And uh, she didn't want to learn how to tie her shoes. and. Her mother said, you're now old enough and I've taught you. You're going to tie your shoes. And this wash came over her. I just, I can't believe you're going to make me struggle this hard to tie my shoes. And she said, yeah, I am. Because she knew actually it was worth some struggle for her to develop. And that was true in the shelter, that sometimes the kids had to face very hard experiences and that hardship, if done with wisdom and perspective, was actually going to be part of how they grew in their strength and how they understand life. I don't wish them, I don't wish misfortune on anybody, but it comes. And when held in the right perspective, misfortunes can be how we understand and ennoble our heart, like Sally talked about last night with the Four Noble Truths. Not every uh, joy brings actual happiness. So people who win the lottery, uh, many of them two years later, um, are quite depressed and stressed. All of their relationships have decayed because they have so much money. Managing that much money is actually very difficult. Not that you can't celebrate it in that moment, but you also have perspective that uh, certain things that we celebrate are nice in the moment, but they're not necessarily leading to a greater happiness. So an equanimous heart um, sees what's happening. There's room for it to be paralleled with compassion and friendliness and and, uh, sympathetic joy. But it gets so curious about how things actually are and it's willing to learn. And it knows the safest relationship to reality is the ability to witness it. The safest relationship is one where you actually have a heart space, for the truth of your life and the truth of another. So that's some uh, initial uh, reflections on it. The phrases that support equanimity practice are widely varied. So you have to find your own particular way in, like with all the other practices. In a culture um, that has the belief of karma, and if you grow up, and karma is just part of the worldview. sometimes reflecting on the law of karma, that these are just causes and conditions playing themselves out. And they're ancient and they're immeasurable in their size and scope. And so I don't need to struggle so much against what's happening or for what's happening. These are just conditions playing themselves out. So that's a a traditional uh, way in is to reflect upon karma. And just relax and let people have their karmic journey. And you can be an assistant, but you don't ever try to override people's deep karmic journey because they have to wake up within their journey for it to really uh, lead to well being. I don't, I, you have to, some, if you're not from a culture that uh, believes in karma, sometimes you have to go way out to understand karma before it's useful to bring about equanimity some ways that are a little easier to access um, are to consider uh, a simple phrase, um, like, this is how things are. Things are like this. This is how things are. Things are like this. So you repeat those two phrases, and then you consider a being, and you consider the range of experiences that they're going to have they've probably had or that you know they've had. And you stay with that until you see that loving them without the truth of who of their real experiences is to love an idealistic version of them. My parents are aging right now and I'm struggling with um, feeling the coming end of their lives. And every, that, that's compassionate, but I, it means I'm actually struggling loving their actual journey through life, which includes what's happening to them now. So temporarily, I suspend my preferences that they live forever. I suspend my preferences that they have an idealistic aging process. And I welcome my heart in, what is it really like? Oh, this is how it is. It is like this. And I stay with that until my heart has room for reality, has room for how things actually are. Why don't we try uh, practicing some? The easiest being that we often feel acceptance for is someone we don't know that well and we haven't gotten too entangled in their story yet. So keeping it really tangible, you might pick somebody here in the room who you can imagine they're a yogi, uh, they're practicing here, you haven't formed a big vendetta against them or a huge spiritual crush, Uh, They're just one of the people in the room. And if you can picture them, you hold them in your heart, in your mind, and you start saying, uh, this is how it is. It is like this. And while you're saying that, you consider they have had immeasurable joys that would be impossible to put in language. They've had that. They have had sorrows that, again, Uh, outpace any poetic expression. They will go through gain and loss. They've gone through birth, they will go through death. Is there any truth about their life that would close down my heart? Or can I open my heart to the full range this person will go through? This is how it is. It is like this. And you might feel a different type of loyalty, not the compassion loyalty, but the equanimity loyalty that no matter what happens, I care for you and I care about your actual story versus anything overly idealistic or romantic. This is how it is. It is like this. So coming into a posture that gives some ease and stillness to your body, taking a few breaths, releasing. And then see if there's somebody here in the room whose image comes easily to your mind, and someone you haven't necessarily thought a lot about, you don't have a strong evaluation yet, You could try a version of that phrasing to say, this is how your life is. Your life is like this. Or more simply, this is how it is. It is like this. See if you can stabilize an image of that person or a felt sense of them. Recognize that you're not that caught up in their story, in your preferences around their story. And see if you can open your heart to the true range of experiences they're likely going through. This is how it is. It is like this. And you might add another wisdom reflection. There is pain and pleasure. This is how it is. It is like this. There is pain and pleasure. This is how it is. It is like this. Even though you don't know this person well, they've had a very incredible life full of countless experiences. Can your heart, say to them, I prefer the truth. I open my heart to what has been true for you. It's often my preferences for what I'd like to hear This is how it is, it is like this. (laughs) Ha <laughs> You're welcome to stay with that uh, person. Keep practicing a warm, equanimous heart. Where you can begin bringing your attention towards yourself and opening up to your own truths. Knowing your own journey. There has been pain and pleasure. There is pain and pleasure. And there will be pain and pleasure. I open my heart to the truth. If you're offering equanimity towards something in the past, you can say, that's how it was. It was like that. Putting aside preferences for a different past, opening your heart to the truth. That is how it was. It was like that. you can turn equanimity, practice, towards the flow of what's present. This is how it is. It is like this. It's a type of steady, timeless loyalty in equanimity. It doesn't matter what happens. I offer my heart And seeing the truth, the many levels of truth. This is how it is, it is like this. And again, you can stay with yourself. I also invite you to consider a loved one whose happiness and well-being you prefer. But only happiness and well-being is probably not the truth of the range they experience. So I open my heart towards someone I care for, to the range of experiences of pleasure and pain and gain and loss, times of ease, times of stress. This is how it is. It is like this. You can bring this equanimity practice into the tone of your mindfulness practice by steadying and warming your heart towards the truth of what you find through mindfulness. So in feeling into your body, feeling your actual sensations, you can say, this is how my body is. It is like this. Or this is how it is. It is like this. You can point this equanimity, Brahma-vihara, towards your heart and mind. Putting aside judgments and preferences. This is my mood. This is how it is. My mood is like this. This is my mental activity. It is like this. That way we bring this heart tone of acceptance, truth witnessing, the stream of the present, and how this warm equanimity Vihara supports our mindfulness practice.